You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. So on with us on this episode is going to be Tom Moore, who's the Managing Director and CEO of With You, With Me. And he's been the brainchild of this whole operation. And Bram, you kind of told me a little bit about him and the fact that you knew him as a, an Australian Army officer, where he kind of learned firsthand the issues of the transition model because he, after suffering an injury, he was reassigned to manage a transition and contract termination cell. And so that gave him a lot of insight into some of the struggles that I think military people were having as they came off active duty. Yeah, I think it's important to note that you know Tom is very much one of us. He was a, uh, a good leader, you know, operational deployments as, a, as a, an officer, platoon commander in Afghanistan, and uh, he had a, a great career ahead of him. Um, and then, as as you, you know, quite rightly pointed out, he was he was injured in the line of duty, and then found himself, you know, really sitting there helping people transition out of out of. Uh, I think at the time he was in the recruit training battalion, and people who who weren't meeting the grade, he was he was trying to transition them out of the military. And I think he saw the issues that not only these guys had, but also people who'd been in the army five, ten, fifteen, twenty years were having when they left, and. His approach is a very disruptive approach to the whole recruitment and targeting sort of of uh, military personnel in that he's looking at industry and trying to change the way that they see, you know, ex-military members and at the same time trying to say to the military members, let's be realistic about what it is that you're going for and let's not go for everything. You know, I think that he, he will provide a very interesting uh, listening experience, especially to not just the Australians, but also to the Americans where they're looking at branching out into the future. Hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, how are you, Tom? Good yourself, mate? Yeah, I'm doing well. Do you know this character over here? Rob Bram. How is <laughs> hey, Mr. Tom. Bram today? G'day, mate. How are you? Busy, dude. How you been? Good, mate. I sent you a message. I think it must have got lost in your millions of message traffic. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. I've just had a, a massive week. Obviously, we had our – we signed up to, you know, everyone. Anyway. Yeah. Good, mate. Bram was uh, one of the guys who mentioned your organization, Tom, and I was really fascinated with the whole organization, what you guys are doing, and then, of course, reading your background, starting to understand you a little bit better of how you saw a lot of the transition of people coming off active duty and the struggles that they had in getting employment. I saw the exact same thing through my own enlistment and my own transition after 20-plus years in the Army. And I thought it would make for a great story for our audience to have you kind of talk yeah. us a little bit about your own experience, you know, within the military, what led you to that, how you found your passion and wanting to help soldiers and in, in setting up your organization and about your organization. And then I want to do some contrast and compare as to how that relates to America, because there are several different programs that support military as they're getting off active duty, and then there's a lot of nonprofits that try to take the place as a, a step behind that. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. I've actually got a, um, a business development manager on the ground in the U.S. at the moment. So what I can do, too, is team up with you to meet face-to-face after this and explain how everything works. But we've had a little bit of traction from Garda World and um, a few big other players at the moment, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed, Boeing over there in the last few weeks. So there's an idea that I might be bringing this across to there a lot quicker than I originally planned. And what you find is that we've found um, you can do all the advocacy, all the non-profits in the world, which don't generate the right talent or the right mindset, firstly, but it's a pure economic problem, mate. Yeah. It is literally looking at labor markets, translating skills and also experience, which is the second part that no one can really do this time effectively. And then explaining to industry that it's a complete untapped talent pool and that people like Bram can pretty much really do anything. And these are the sort of jobs they can do at your company well, and they should be facilitated. The The biggest argument I had this week uh, with a whole bunch of mental health advocates was that I can't put a finger on one negative value that I've been taught by the military. So maybe it's not the case of us having the issue with social integration and isolation, the breakdown, maybe it's the case that society has now got a shit set of values and we should be facilitating some of the values that these people have. Um, yeah. Because that's 
That's the only mental health issue that I see. Right. The rest of them come from underemployment. And in Australia, we've just done a, we did an audit and a report, and our report's getting audited by EY in Sydney at the moment. And essentially, one out of every three military members will transition into unemployment, and one out of every two will transition into underemployment and take a third pay cut. So essentially, we just have an economic problem. And then because of underemployment, you know, your fallout is depression. Yes. You know, and if the whole marketing campaign is, oh, it's, you know, you got post-traumatic stress disorder, suicide, isolation, and the key fact is that a guy left, he took a low-skilled job, he moved to Sydney where the rent is 50% higher than it is where he was used to, and his life's falling apart because he just made some bad decisions. So all we need to do is educate, give him the tools, and then explain to industry that, don't your your question shouldn't be why should they you know why should veterans work for me, your your motto is what veterans should work for me and how can I convince them to come work for me, is the way that it should go, and I think that's a very sim, you know very similar problem in the U S. What we've found from the U S. in our reporting over there for six months is essentially what you've just identified. You guys have every education system, every employment system. You've got all these you know charities and you know it is. It, key point of charities and you've still got the same sort of issues major like, issue yeah, yeah like, so I, I just went why well yes you've got a you've got a lower unemployment rate but people are going into unfilling jobs because of skill level occupation and income and when you combine that with the amount of kids that don't have a value system in western society of course they feel upset you know i do too and yeah that's so that's what we've sort of seen and i and i find that as a company, and I know we'll get into it, but as a company, you should be just aiming at making these people competitive. And the big thing I want to get across, and I said it out, we had a big talent forum in Sydney, is that how come we have one of the best problem-solving systems built, the most corporate problem-solving systems have been built on, and then we get to transition and we just forget to use it. And then number two, we're one of the only organisations that practices the will to win, but then we get to transition and we just don't want to win anymore. Yeah, right. um, let's just win it. So you like, mm-hmm. I sort of did an analogy at this event and I said, I don't know if you guys have seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where Paul Rudd is teaching the Jason Siegel guy how to serve. And he's just like, do less. What I what I said to them on Wednesday night, I said, do the same thing you're doing now, but just make transition the new problem and do exactly how you do it and you'll do it well. Analyze the situation, adapt to the environment, identify where you want to work, target it, influence people to make it happen, and you'll get there. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, here in America, I think one of the challenges that we we have is that we have a lot of military-friendly organizations, meaning companies are willing to take on military. But as you mentioned, what they prefer to do is segment them into a small subset of jobs that they've identified that would be more military-like because they don't value or see the benefits that military are transitioning or skill sets that they're transitioning in with. So they make them these three or four positions within this company. What you've just said is something that I believe needs to occur more in America is you really understand the experience and the value that an individual is bringing from the military, you find that within a company and you say, by the way, this position translates to this position. And you don't say that to the soldier or the airman or Marine. You say that to the company and say, company, this is why you want this individual. And I think that's not occurring. That's where the disconnect is because we have a transition assistance program that helps them transition out by giving them a high school looking resume and then they have a nonprofit that might help them clean it up a little. They say that they do keyword matching, but none of that seems to work because the companies, the companies see them more as these are the jobs I want to place you in. Yeah, and I, you know, in, in the other thing is right is that the big issue that I've seen from the American numbers is the six out of seven are underemployed, mate. So what that means is that once they get in there, they should be going to a different job, probably not what's offered. And the good companies actually build internal incubators that go, yeah, you work in this role for 12. Striker, for example, I've got over here. Every junior military officer or NCO that I'm putting into it will do 12 months as the operations manager. And then once they do that and they build that person based off their personality, based off what they were good at over that 12 months, they'll then push into a higher role. So they could go into marketing. 
They could go into finance. They could go into something else. So the good companies have done that. I guess my key focus really is, is if 70% of jobs are word of mouth referral for the industry, you can't change that. So, you know, I've had guys that, you know, that have got MBAs that have done two years as business analysts post the military and can't become consultants at Ernest & Young or Deloitte. I go, so all we're going to do, mate, is when that job opportunity comes available, you see how the talent acquisition person has put their number there. Yeah, call it and say, I want an interview, one. And then what we do is we find out who the senior partner is that's hiring and we send him a note and go, hey, mate, I've applied for this job. I'd love to catch up for a coffee on how this works. And then all of a sudden they're getting the gig. It's just adapt to the market completely. And what I've found is that you need to get the individual to do that. And it has to be right. intrinsic, right? So the, the person that's doing it, you demonstrate it to them. But if they have that purpose and they know what that target is, give them the tools and then they have to action it. I can't be at every meeting with every soldier, with every person. It doesn't make any sense. And it's similar to any sort of situation where you've got to get a, a boss on site, present it in a manner that the boss looks good, then you can't really do anything even if you aren't doing what he told you to do. But he's now look good in front of everyone and manipulating that aspect of hiring. So what I'm saying is that the, we found that no matter what you do, HR generally doesn't like to make a decision. Their only decision is talent management and really talent recruitment. Give them something that's no effort and no cost. But also, when that person's going through that, use the other network of hiring. Get in front of the hiring manager before we put you in front of talent acquisition. That all of a sudden, they get the job. Totally makes sense. I it's, mean, because networking, like you said, is key. You're, and people have said, and we've said on this podcast before, your network is your net worth. Yeah. And the big thing is people don't, people don't like in Australia, it's, we, don't, we have a really shitty perception of military, mate. It's a lot worse. But the it's networking for value, right? Right. Everyone will take a copy with you. Right. But unless you can generate value to that person, and value is revenue increase or cost increase or profile, so adding to their profile, then it's a waste of time. And you've really got to harp that down and schedule it. So we worked out we need to upskill, but you need to find out what you want to do first. Once you upskill, build the network post-upskilling, and then from there you give HR a product they can't say no to. And at the end of the day, the hiring manager goes, I want to hire that person in this role. HR then have to action it, no matter their pretense. Yeah, so do you guys get involved within, say, the last 12 months of a soldier's enlistment or a military person's enlistment, or are you catching them after they've already separated? At what point do you start interfacing with that individual? Oh, look, mate, it's got to happen 12 months. My, my perfect dream is getting them whilst they're all still in. Our program's designed for whilst you're all still in. 80% are still in, 20% are fucked, in other words, and I'm part of my language, but essentially the model is to get you while you're in, Find your purpose, upskill you based off your scientific testing, narrow it through a mentor, build your network, and then from there, put you in a candidate pooling system for a company. As a job comes up at that company we've trained you at, they then offer it to you because it lowers their risk substantially. They've been tested in their workplace. We've got an internal referral, and they're a cultural and personality fit. Totally makes sense. I mean, let's face it, the longer amount of runway that you have, the better chance that you have to take off. And in this case here, if you're only giving yourself a few months or you've already separated, you've already blown a clear opportunity to get ahead of the marketplace and be able to really show your value across a broader. And that's another thing that I think a lot of people here are doing is they're shotgun blasting their resume. They're out there thinking yeah. that the way to get a job is to go out there and throw 300 resumes to 300 different companies or different positions within a number of companies. They're not narrowing, they're not focusing. And to your point, they're not doing the things that they were taught to do in a military combat situation. You know, there are certain hey, Rob, steps. One of the things that I talked to Tom about initially when, I, uh, when we first started discussing this was how people need to tailor their, their CVs to the opportunities that they were trying to make for themselves rather than just building one CV and then posting it out 300 times was actually to look at the specific jobs that they were upskilling themselves for and then to tailor that CV per per job. Uh, sort of like what Tom was saying before about a less is more approach. Yep. One of the issues I see in Australia is when you, when you open the job pages or you look at Seek, is reading the job descriptions that's been written by, you know, a junior HR 
um, oh. you know, someone working in HR in the sort of the junior field is that, is that they use a lot of the flowery language to describe mm. what they're after in the job, but actually that doesn't even translate into English half of those things that they're no. asking for. No one can understand what it is that they, that they want. So if someone <laughs> tailoring their CV for it is, is already, you know, up against the wall trying to understand what their CV needs to look like to answer the job specifications because no one can understand what those job specifications are. Yeah, and, and I guess to, to harp on your point, we, we built a reintegration process called COMPASS, which is obviously Civilian Orientation and Military Personnel After Service. Yes, it's an acronym, but essentially this is all – people don't just do things. They do things, you know, for a reason. What most people have got to understand that most job ads on third-party sites are generally executed by recruiters or internal talent acquisition to actually build a candidate pool. They don't even have a job there. Secondly, when they're building that candidate pool, if you've ever got uh, within you know 24 hours or within three to four hours a response from that company that says you're not suitable, that means they're using a CV harvesting application. Yeah. In Australia... They have CV harvesting applications, and some of the search terms are if any military terms come up, they're automatically discounted. So what that's having is a negative effect on people applying for jobs, right? If you apply for 100, you get 15 of those back. And essentially, you're not even getting past someone taking a photo of your your resume automatically, and it's firing back. The, The final part of the equation is that because people have been through this so many times, there's two things you need to take away when you look at a job ad, right? The first thing is most companies will actually tell you what they want. So, for example, Deloitte, right, they'll put in their, their recent ad for management consultants. We want three things, and they say it, but then there's other things that the company culture is looking for. How you work out the job specifics and the company culture is really simple. Go on three or four different job ads and grab the values and the attributes which make the company culture. So you need that. But then look at the difference in the messaging, and you could work out what they actually want. So what Deloitte's saying is, I want someone that can turn a dollar with three or four years' experience in operational management in this industry. So if you don't have those three or four years' operational management, if you've never generated a return on investment or or increase in revenue, then immediately don't apply for it because it's not going to happen. They actually say that you need that skill. The the last one is really, I think we've both sort of made it, and I've made this analogy and I made it the other night, is that stop shooting a shotgun round and shoot a sniper bullet into the target that you want to hit. And there's a lot that goes into that sniper shot, and that's all you need to do. And really, applying for a job is a full-time thing once you've left. So stay in the military and apply for it. And your job application cycle sometimes lasts between three and five months. Yeah, That's how long it'll take. So I think you can analyse and break down all of it. I think you really hit the nail on the head there that you need to adjust and tailor it each time. But they actually do give you all the information. Him resources generally aren't that hard. They actually want to attract people. They use sales words because they want to attract better people. But if you break into the professional network too and you're working at that company before they offer you a position, it completely removes the actual thing of looking at your CV. And the other, the other important part out of this is if you sell someone into that job, and you use service delivery rather than a non-for-profit approach of give me a donation and I'll give you an intern, and mm. if I sell that job, then they go, one, Tom, you've delivered us some good talent, so remove the veteran piece completely. That's all that matters. Who else have you got? And we want more of these people. And then yeah. they actually stop looking at the CVs and go, is he like this person? Is he another Bram Connolly? Yes, he is. Well, we want more of those. Can you get me more of those? All right, here, I've got four for you. Okay, just bring them in. Just don't, and don't put that on anyone, mate. <laughs> yeah, the company go broke. Hey, I, just have, I, have, I, have a, I have one quick question for you then, Tom, because, you know, obviously I'm fairly close to a HR professional in my, <laughs> in my household. And uh, my wife was telling me that LinkedIn is becoming more and more of a, a basis for someone's, you know, professional background and, and perhaps in the future, LinkedIn will take the place of, of maybe resumes even to the point where people will actively seek through LinkedIn the people that they want to attract. Do you, what do you think about LinkedIn and how do you think that it, it should be a part of your, you know, the sniper bullet approach? Yeah, so obviously um, we spoke to Dave, Daniel Savage from Veterans, that runs a veteran program at LinkedIn uh, this week. And 
I'm sort of on odds and ends to to the parent of the profession. The first thing I I will say is it is necessary. Every recruiter, internal talent acquisition, as soon as they get a job ad, will search for the person they're looking for off the algorithm. Now, in the US, LinkedIn actually has a specific search tool for veterans. uh, So they will find veteran recruit. We don't have that over here. And I try to get them to bring across whether or not they'll let me do it as two different things, but we don't have that application. But there's a few key points when building a LinkedIn. You have to tailor it against what jobs you're looking for. Firstly, you have to put in your uh, approach, so your tagline at the top, currently seeking opportunities, because that's one of the field, the filters that, vet, that recruiters will use when they search. For, for military members, don't take a picture of yourself in your tactical combat gear unless you want to be a private military contractor. Don't take a picture of yourself at a wedding because that's the only thing you have in resemblance of a suit. Get one done. But even your military profile, the first thing I'll say is be proud of your military experience. Don't be afraid to have that factor there, but adjust the wording against the industry key selection criteria. So in the With You and Me pathway, we'll, we'll show you what the industry is looking for, and that's how you adjust your LinkedIn, right, unless you've got specific jobs and companies that you're going after. The thing I've found really, really annoying and I guess sort of irritating is I've seen um, officers, they, they probably do it more so than everyone else, they'll say things like chief operations officer. Well, no, you were the staff officer at, at a formation level. There's nothing wrong with saying that. It's the same with a, a brigadier, right? I've had a brigadier and I've looked at his profile and it, and it said, I am the CEO of X. Mate, it's a pretty big thing to be a brigadier general. Say that you're a brigadier. People know what that is. People respect it. So, yes, you can have that there, but don't be afraid to lose some of that military title. I think that you should have a little bit of that and don't just adjust saying, you know, I was an ops manager or this or that. What you can say was, as the operations officer for, you know, the Australian Army, I executed an agile project as your description underneath and it will all come up when they search. So you will need that wording there, but don't be afraid to sell it. The thing about LinkedIn is it's only good for certain professions, Right. So for recruiters now, especially in Australia, uh, let me just give you an example. Teachers, you can't find on LinkedIn. Software developers, you can't find on LinkedIn. Engineers are harder to find on LinkedIn because they don't like getting a thousand messages for job opportunities. So they're, they're pulling away from the platform. LinkedIn has unfortunately gone away from a professional development setting of uh, content-driven social professional network based off career development to a whole bunch of salespeople and recruiters sending you messages and pulling your details. And they've lost a bit of uh, capacity in that aspect. So how they bring that back, I'm not sure. Uh, but how do they find teachers in Australia for massive training projects? And one of the top level recruiters does it over here is through Instagram. Because they worked out that over here, teachers have more holidays than uh, everyone else. So in terms of where their holidays are, so the holidays are in different periods. So what the recruiters do, because teachers don't use LinkedIn, to find a good teacher, they go look at everyone that goes to the Hunter Valley to do a winery tour during school holidays because the rest of us at work, and then they look at all the hashtags and they find out who they are, and then from then go back through the Facebook to get them. So that means if you're a veteran that wants to be a teacher and you're studying a teaching degree, using a LinkedIn isn't going to get you that job because the recruiters have already moved on past that to find the work for you. Right. So. I guess the, the key points are to take away from that is, yes, you need it. For the military, it's great to get your profile out there. But the occupations that who hire off LinkedIn are generally executive recruiting through to sales, through to project managers. They, it has specific strengths. So tailor your LinkedIn profile to what industry you want to get into. Don't be afraid of selling your military experience and identifying that. Make sure you write currently seeking opportunities and your photos, not you at a wedding. And... For other areas and occupations, think outside the box like you were taught and work out how they're getting the talent. Because I could tell you right now, construction project managers, they'll advertise it, but a lot of the way they find tradies, subcontractors, labour hire companies will find those sort of people is through Facebook. And they'll go on a a male or female-orientated page based off those people in those workforces and they'll find who's active on there and they'll talk to them. So, yeah. for example, engineers, web stack developers, uh, project engineers, they believe, you know, they're really compliance sort of oriented guys. So if you ever call one of them, they go, hey, how the hell did you get my number? Whereas a salesperson will go, 
what are you trying to sell me? You've got a minute or so. So to get good project engineers and to build a good project engineer or software or tech network, you get on Quora, I think it's Quora, the forum that actually has where people are sharing their experiences and sharing their knowledge. And then you talk to them that way because those guys aren't on LinkedIn. So if you want to be an engineer or if you want to be a tech, you're a tech-driven focus, you're better off not being on LinkedIn. You're better off being on a value-based forum and engaging and sharing your ideas because those people don't like people that sell them stuff and they're on there sharing their knowledge. But that's where the network is because those people will become the head of the project. So you've really got to have that base profile there because everyone will look for you, and I agree with that. But then tailor the rest of your social engagement strategy for employment to the specific industry and occupation that you want to get into. It's so interesting and, that you say Instagram, though, yes. Tom, because when you start thinking about the normal person who has a public account or even a private account, they use Instagram typically for other things. And my God, I can't tell you, I've seen so many things in looking at veterans that well, what they put on <laughs> Instagram, I'd be a little concerned if they're going to be using that for their employment base. But you're absolutely right. Recruiters are going to be looking at their Instagram account if it's public. Yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think... It's all about making things actionable, right? You know, I'm, I'm not someone that has a hot wind approach. We'll give you a set of tactics that you can apply, and then it's up to you to constantly apply them to the rest of your, your engagement. But the key point I want to take away is build your profile, build it, but then actually tailor that profile to the audience. And in the majority of the case, the audience are recruiters. The internal talent acquisition is lean. So unless you're an exceptional professional entry or they're going through a growth period, then the rest of the work is going to come from recruiters. So your question is, how the hell do I get in touch with the good recruiters and how are they doing business? And then how do I get my face to consistently come in front of them every time yeah. an opportunity yeah. happens? Using all of your social media as a holistic approach as opposed to, so you're using your Instagram, you're using your Facebook, you're using your LinkedIn. Yeah. And, and what you're doing is you're creating, really you're creating an online social yeah, profile that is all angled yeah. to get you that job. So it's and it's the exact same way that I guess um, you and Robert, with your backgrounds, have been taught in a counter-surgency environment to build intelligence. Who are the people that we need to touch? How can we build the human in-source relationship? How can we increase the methods of information that are coming to me? So what we do in, in essentially what a good salesperson would do is a good recruiter will have people that they've placed and they will be referring people. So if I have a job to fill and I've placed eight operations managers that are all talented, my first port of call isn't to advertise the job. It, it, I'll advertise it to my internal with you and me audience. But my first personal call is, all right, guys, yeah. I placed you six months ago. Who else have you got? Because you guys all roll in the same circle. Absolutely. Now, what you need to do is get in touch with those sort of people because everyone gets value out of it. They love sharing an opportunity and closing that deal for you. But unless people know that that's what you're up to and you don't say, currently seeking opportunities, feel free to send a message out on LinkedIn saying, you know, to your newsfeed, I'm looking to get into this area. Feel free to send me any information. The way you get around the whole sales pitch, every time you position either someone in your network, someone to be a mentor, someone to, someone to help you out, don't be military dominant about it and think you sort of know everything. And I know most people in the military don't. Say, I want to learn from you. What can I learn from you and are you free for a chat? And I guarantee you most people will come back and go, yes, I am. But yeah. when you posture them, make sure you posture them against your purpose, equated that to a career, equated that to a position title, and then finally related that to a labour market outcome. So, you know, if I've got a guy that wants to work as Deloitte as an operational advisor, or he wants to be a management consultant, okay, I want to do that type of management consultant, that's the senior partner. Who in my network knows the senior partner? No one does. All right, I'm going direct. But I'm going to go direct in a way that, hey, I've been in the military for, for X amount of years. I've just done my MBA. I've just done my CFA one. I am about to, I want to get into what you're doing. Are you free for a chat? Are you free for a coffee? And I guess yeah. what? If you go direct to executives with that sort of thing, they generally all come back and make the five minutes available because it breaks up their day of absolute whatever the hell else is going on. And if you go in there, and this is what people don't understand, if you go in there and show value and you go, hey, mate, I want to work for you. Please tell me a story. He'll tell you because everyone loves sharing a story. That's the old tribal system that Western society's forgotten. 
I want this job because of this, this, and this, and you impress on them that you actually want that job from the get-go, you'll get there. So, for example, to sell this model, I went through the job interview process at Dropbox, finally got to the national manager and the sales manager for Australia, pulled my job interview aside and sold with you with me to him. And he looked at me and he goes, you cunning, like F word. He goes, let's see how we can do business. I actually went through a six-week, seven-week interview process just to sell in my company with no inclination of taking that job. Now, that's a little bit manipulative and probably the far extent of the point. But what I'm saying is that <laughs> understand the environment, adapt to the environment, and do everything that you were taught in the military to do that. Because we weren't fighting conventional wars. We were fighting ones that involved community, ones that involved influence, ones that sometimes require the carrot and sometimes require the stick. So don't be afraid to do it. And like I said, everyone else, just do less, but target it to this is my purpose. So a purpose is really simple. Don't overquantify it. I like to solve problems. The more complex the problem, that's what I like to do. What does that equate to? Well, in terms of industry, that equates to business development, product development, and sales because that's where we make money. just wanted to share with you that Rob and I were discussing previously about something that you were talking about a moment ago. You touched on it. And then with regards to the narrative, you know, the veteran beware veteran almost. So you know where I'm going with this already, I'm sure. So yep. how do we change the perceptions of military personnel, you know, to be able to go into those businesses like you're talking about? It's great to get a foot in the door, except when the private sector already thinks that, you know, because you were in the military that you have PTSD or because you were in the military you're mentally broken or because you were in the military you're exhausted now because you've done eight tours of Afghanistan. But... But a lot, in a lot of the cases, it seems that sometimes the if the veterans allow the civilians to have that victim mentality, then it's almost like veterans beware veterans. You know, they, they, they we wreck it for each other. What are your Correct. views on that? I think your you, your last point is a little bit more pertinent than people realise. So the first issue we've got is that unfortunately, non-for-profit veteran community is a substantial money-making network. So. If you have a very small percentage of people marketing on behalf of everyone else, which is essentially their job, they're supposed to advocate on behalf. Rob and I are both nodding violently <laughs> in agreement with you. Yeah. 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 So if your whole marketing network in the veteran brand is being portrayed as negative because it creates a system, then that itself is an economic problem and it needs to be addressed. And I'll talk about that separately. The other side of the equation, though, is that... When military members take a job, because of that perception, they then adapt way too far. So when I when you execute a program and within 12 months you get vastly promoted and everyone goes, yep, 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 you probably should say as a military member, the reason I could do that so fast, the reason we can get things done is because of my military training. No one sells that bit. And the reason no one sells that bit is we're generally very humble. We've never really sold ourselves. Right. So when everyone else in the industry is selling themselves, then they don't. The other reason it doesn't happen is because there's job protectionism in the civilian world. So you've got to be really careful what company you pick. If you go to a fast-growing company, they'll reward you speaking out and what I like to call addressing the elephant in the room, which military members always seem to do. They'll go, well, this is bullshit because of this, and then give you a plan to fix it, though, which is the important factor. Right. It's not whinging. Here's a plan at the end of it. So on that side... One of it is educating hiring managers on how to facilitate military members, right? But the second thing is when a military member does something right in industry, they need to go, hey, we did something right because of my background training and what I used to do. So in Australia, our problem is that there's a lot of successful ex-defence people running big business, but we've never shared their story. How are they doing that? Why are they doing that and exposing that narrative? And that's something we need to do. But that is an individual thing too. So if you get promoted, you're general manager of SAP, uh, East Coast for Australia, billion dollar portfolio, you need to go, hey, the reason I'm, I was this is because I was a really competent junior officer and that's how I've beaten everyone and risen to the top because I know how to manage people, I know how to problem solve, I know how to do process improvement. The other problem though is how do we quieten a marketing and advertising thing that's pushing a negative message? And that's sort of like your silver bullet million dollar question. And the only way you can do that 
I think, is look at where the funding's going, evaluating the process and whether the constituents from these organisations are actually having the effect that you achieve. And I tell you what, if that occurs, there's going to be a lot of enemies coming after the people that have done it. I, I don't know why. And if you look at the numbers in Australia, um, 5,500 leave, there's been 20,000 plus that have left the military in the last four years. 60% of those have resigned under eight-year service. 11% have been under a mental health capacity, with only a half percent being post-traumatic stress disorder. The rest are leaving, they're depressed because they've spent the last 11 out of 12 years away from home. And that's all it is. It'll be essentially fixed if I get you a valued job, a high-paying job, and you're with your family again. So to cut it really short, mate, the first, the first point is sell your military experience once you've achieved in industry. Don't forget it. The second thing is we need to educate industry on what experience, I call it experience translation means, and skill translation at the same time and position it as a, as a talent pool and a competitive talent pool. Finally, the advocacy side is hard and I think going forward it'll get exposed more as a lot of, you know, a lot more talented people come out of the military with no issues and start to perform. So the only way we can really go against that narrative is by telling people that are leaving it's about winning, presenting yourself as competitive and as we reach a bigger audience with that approach and they start to deliver results, I think that issue will be nullified to one where it should stand. Those that need care do need care. But the majority of us, we don't. We just want to do our next journey and we want to succeed. So we need to expose who of those who have been successful to that audience and share their story. So they remove that connotation. They remove that systemic sort of approach to, you know, you should feel sorry for yourself. And then look at ways that that's occurring. Because if the numbers are occurring in the way they say they are, then it's not just a ones or twos, then it's a crisis, and a crisis only occurs due to systemic failure. So what are we doing in the transition process that's making me feel that way and one out of three people going into unemployment? And you find that half of them that are going not fit for the labour market, which means they're being told never to work again, but they're combat ineffective but not industry ineffective. And that needs to change. So... All in all, sell your military performance when you do something right, working with industry to work out where we fit and then spreading that story and then engaging the will to win and getting that ambition and purpose folks before people get out and getting them to talk to those that have been successful. And although military people don't like to sell themselves and do that, we need to get them to do it because they need to lead the charge. I love it. I, I think it's great because I, I think another aspect that you brought up that I never really thought about a whole lot is getting in industry educated through the success stories of the veterans that have had success in certain industries and say, listen, Johnny over here was successful in doing just that. He's now director or vice president and executive within company X. And, and he had the, this is the type of experience that he had and everything else. And so they start seeing that there are success stories out there of how people made the transition did what you're talking about, or are now in senior level positions, I think then they start buying into it a lot more as well. Oh, no, completely. Why? Because it lowers risk. You know, if, if we go, all right, our most successful senior managers for X company have been X military junior NCOs or junior officers, then what was the profile of them? And then how can we attract more of them? So what I've seen in terms of the last, I think it's really the last 12 months in the U.S. sort of re military recruiting scheme is that some companies have continued with outreach, but the smart ones have moved to veteran-specific recruitment programs, hiring internal talent acquisition that are veteran-specific markets and looking for the people that they actually want. And what we're saying is we're going one further. I can tell you the people that you want based off science, based off history. I can lower your risk by word-of-mouth referral as well, but I'm also upskilling them to overcome any risk. So not only are you getting a better veteran candidate, you're just getting a better candidate. And that's the message. Highlight an elephant in the room, the, the more successful with you, with me is, the less of a burden on Department of Veteran Affairs is with people who are fronting up the door looking for, you know, dare I say it, assistance. Mm. You know, oh, where, where, where there's where there's people out there who are legitimately struggling and need that help, and there's people who are just not finding jobs. 
No, and I guess the the point that you want to take away is not even just how much how much how many expenses are we lying for the government is the first point. But we worked out, and I know it's Australia, so don't laugh, Robert, because we you know we're we're a much smaller budget. <laughs> we worked out the underemployment rate conservatively is costing 130 million a year in GDP. So by not getting them jobs that fit their occupation skill level in growth industries and the right labour markets, we're not even performing as well as an economy. And the, the, the simple math of it is, if it costs $2 million to train a commando and then we give him another two, three years and get him up to a, a team leader status, and all of a sudden we spent $4.6 million on that person. That's a cheap Show money. Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, well, whatever it is, Bram, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that money is, show me an organisation that's corporate that would spend that amount of money on training someone. There isn't one. The next point I'm trying to make is that Australian industry, and it might be similar in the US, but I'll comment, Australian industry doesn't develop leaders anymore. It's gone to technical hard skilling. So if you perform well at your entry-level job, you'll get promoted based off being technically competent. Now, Unless they go engage an external network and build themselves as a leader, it means that there's a lot of people that are managers in Australia. And, you know, I'm happy to anyone to target me about this, post this podcast, um, that, are, that are crap leaders. And they don't make the transition from operator in terms of a business sense to a leader, which means that now it's about improving process improvement. It's about You combine the working with people and getting the most out of your team with winning the mission. What we've got in the military, though, is a whole bunch of people that are built to be leaders first, that have better values, that are aligned to a a mission or or they have a bigger sense of loyalty, and you're telling me all we need to do is get them qualified in a three-day course in agile project management, and then all of a sudden... You've got one of the best leaders in the market that's just executing projects because it was the same thing he was doing the week before as an NCR and officer, and he's executing it. Um, and he's got better leadership, and he's more loyal to the company. So my question and it has been the whole time, why don't you want more people like this? You know, your, your whole aim should be the end goal. Within two years, you'll be going, we need to attract more people like that because society and corporate industry isn't building any leaders. And you're saying that, we just need to give them the knowledge. They can come in and be a leader and actually action everything in the environment. Unfortunately, you, though... Sorry, Tom. I, I, thought, I know, that, yeah, I know Rob, Rob will let it half of me, half of me <laughs> out interrupting you the whole way through. But And, Tom, do you, do you occasionally find that you help, uh, you know, commanding officers or, or the units to keep their guys from, from leaving the military that, that perhaps... It's time for them yeah. to stay in, and, and, and is that is that something that you look at addressing yeah. as well with you with me? So the best thing about targeting people internally, it's a good question because I'm segueing off on uh, industry leaders. Is essentially um, the a high, you know, thirty percent of people that come through our program. If not everyone would know their purpose, right? It's not just as simple as sometimes people need to figure it out. So doing the work experience, you might realise as part of the work experience, it's not time to leave the military. So it actually has a very good retention tool, right? So 30% of people will either stay in or prolong their military career because now they know that they don't have the experience and skills to do the next job that they want to do. So that means that I might be a sergeant that wants to be a project manager in IT and I might be an infantry sergeant. I haven't got a degree. I don't have an education. But to be competitive, I might need to complete a master's or I might need to add a a job in the military that's transferable to that. So I might become a plans officer in, in a training environment as my last role. And I might do that role in Sydney because then I can go, hey, for my next three years, I'm going to have a lower sense of absenteeism. I'm going to have a higher sense of morale. And I'm not going to go, I hate the military right now. Like most people, some people get towards the end of their sort of their end of days. And the army has an ability to retain some of those people, but also retain them for a longer period of time. They're more effective working because they're working towards a purpose, which is I want to be a competent project manager. My next job in terms of career planning is project management. I can now tell my career manager that I want to get out in this location in four years. Whilst I study, can I do this job, which is leading change projects and changing projects internal to the military? Because when I want to leave, I want to be a you know I want to be a training project manager, or a change manager, or a change consultant, and that lines up their profile, and now they're a lot happier. Um, so we do have that aspect uh, completely, yeah. 
So okay. you, you're talking about moving this perhaps over into America. So this is a great timing based on what you're already accomplishing there. We have Australian people, of course, that are listening to our podcast. And uh, where where can they find out more information if they're already in the military, they're listening and following the podcast about your organization? And then, of course, tell us a little bit more kind of quickly about what you see in the future about the American side of it. Uh, look, uh, so quickly, uh, the process is completely free for ex-service, current serving. Uh, you can sign up and then you conduct your testing. And then from there, you go into an upskilling platform after you choose a career path and we engage you with the mentor. So you can find it at withyouwithme.com.au. Uh, second point of the question is that I think we'll move to the U.S. faster than I thought we would. And the reason is, is that the companies that I've got in Australia are either ex-military guys running Australian companies or American companies trying to identify how they can crack into the veteran talent pool because it's already had success over there. So for me, in terms of a business decision, it's smarter to actually target American companies, right? So what we've found after all our research in the US and here, and I'm happy to send you the report once it's released in the next three, three weeks, Robert, on our underemployment because there'll be a lot of trends that you can actually apply in your anywhere over there, is that... The cat calling from non-for-profits, cattle calling, sorry, from non-for-profits for talent generates the wrong mindset. And you're right, it's just resume yeah, yeah. translation. They get funded by the government or they get funded by it, but it reduces the wrong result. Right. You're better off going, here are the companies that are at the end of the channel. Here's what you need to do to get there. Make that decision and make that, a, I guess, profit for purpose company, but make it a positive experience the whole way forward where you've got to fight this battle and you've got to win. Because the process that we're teaching you is the same process that you need to do for every single iteration in your career. Every single time you go for a new job, every single time you go for a new role, every single time you want to advance, apply this exact same methodology of linking it to an opportunity, developing that an opportunity, leveraging a network to get to that opportunity, and finally seeking employment and getting it at the right price and a higher price than you would usually expect. Um, so I think in the next six to eight months, you might see... Uh, a full-time team in the US um, just because it's probably easier for me to scale in the US than actually come back and deal with the market dynamics in Australia. And we're up to, I think we're up to now 4,005 pitches in the last nine months. So that's a aggressive selling, but that's how long it's taking to educate the audience. I think in three years' time, if we build this right, I can walk away from this organization and collapse it and go, you now have the technology to link each other. You now know what a good veteran profile is. You now know the best way of applying it, and that's done. And that's what's already happening in the U.S. with the top companies. They've identified veteran recruiter. This is what we need to look for. This is how we attract talent. Go for it. So I think it's a very, for me, it's a two- to three-year thing in Australia. Hopefully in the next six to eight months, I'll be, I'm coming on the ground in the U.S. towards the end of the year um, to start talking to a few of the companies we're already talking to over here. But what we've found from our discussion is the exact problem that you identified. We have all these programs. We have a GI Bill. We have housing affordability. And we've still got depression. We've still got suicide. We've still got... And I, I think it's just purely economic. Match them to the right labour market outcome that matches their intrinsic drive. Understand how word-of-mouth referral works and apply it. And finally, and I think uh, Ram sort of really hit this home before, identify and don't shoot a shotgun round out into the workplace, target it, go after it as you would an objective, mate. I think that's what you need to do. So in simple equation, do less, do what you do in the military, and do it in a new area of operations. And that area of operations is civilian industry. Great stuff. I, the last point I guess I want to make is that and it's military members is that this has got nothing to do with rank or position. It's not about junior officers going into high-profile jobs. I place junior NCOs into those jobs. I place sergeants into those jobs or senior NCOs. What I'm trying to say is that identify what you want to work to. Upskill yourself if you don't have it. Sometimes an officer is more transferable, correct? But upskill that process, work that out, and get yourself there and win that battle. And finally, understand why companies exist. Why the biggest problems is people don't go, all right, it's all about increasing revenue or lowering costs. So we're going to go in there with that mindset from day one. So if we don't work that out and we feel a bit sorry why people aren't doing things, 
a little bit sorry for ourselves. We really need to hit home. I'm going to come to this company and all this company cares about and all shareholders care about is me making this organization more money and delivering value. And delivering value is increasing revenue and lowering costs. Which side am I on? Am I on the cost lowering or am I on the revenue increasing? That could be products, that could be sales, but figure that out. And if you know that from day one, it then becomes how do I apply my military appreciation process and what I've learned in the military in this role to increase revenue or lower costs? And then every time I give a set of orders, so to speak, in the military setting or I sell, end it with do the exact same thing you do in the military and end it with, and that is how we're going to increase revenue. And that is how we're going to lower costs. And then all of a sudden, everyone goes, oh, you've assimilated quite effectively. All I've done is add a tagline at the end of it. And I'm sorry for swearing again, I'm surprised. <laughs> but all I've done is add that tagline at the end of it. And that is something that we need to tell people because we have one of the biggest values and mission statements in this overarching set of guidance that drives us to do the military. Understand from day one in industry, it is how much money can I make for the company or how much can I reduce it? And then from there, apply everything you've done. They still have valued organisations. Organisations exist for mostly the right reason. But that is what the big question is, and that's the that's the big difference. I can't wait to have you back on after you get situated here in America and you start this whole thing up, because I think it's going to cause quite a ripple current here, more than likely like it did there in Australia. So looking forward to it. Yeah. No, look, mate, thanks for your time. I, I, I definitely do appreciate the opportunity. And like I said, I think it's just pure economics. And economics is understanding the labor market and educating labor market employers, or in some cases for regional areas, creating new labor markets because our garrison towns are in regional areas. So people don't want to move. And that's all I, th I think it is. But look, thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. See you, Bram. See you, Tom. Good to see you, mate. You too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.